What will the Giants do with the 11th pick in this year's NFL draft? We'll dive into the Giants' approach with their first-round pick and whatever else they might address with their six picks in the NFL draft. Our special guest this week is Giants assistant GM and VP of football operations. It's the cap guru, Kevin Abrams. So put on your finest suit. Let's get fresh. It's time for an NFL draft preview edition of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to the Blue Rush Podcast, our Giants podcast from the New York Post. We're back for a special NFL draft preview show. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon. Make sure you give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Giants assistant GM and VP of football operations, the cap guru himself, Kevin Abrams, will join Blue Rush later on in the podcast. Your host of Blue Rush, our New York Giants beat writer for the New York Post, Paul Schwartz, and two-time Giants Super Bowl champion kicker, Lawrence Tynes. Guys, the draft is upon us. The Giants have six picks. They have the 11th pick. Fans are pumped up. So let's talk some NFL draft, shall we? Lawrence, with the number 11 pick in the NFL draft Thursday night, the New York Giants select. Certain corner. Excuse, hello? Is this yep. on? What? Hello? Yes. Hello? What? Going, I, I think he's going to be available. I, I don't think you can pass him up. I don't think I think he's the surest pick in and around 11 that this team can make for the future. You know, we haven't done this in a while, so I, I didn't want to I wanted to start off nice and easy. And, you know, how you doing? How's everything going? It's getting nice out. Uh, you know, I didn't want to get ornery and contentious right away. And then you come up with that. And now I have to get all hot and bothered and start. Yeah, I don't even know uh, if I really think he's going to be the pick. I just wanted a reaction out of you because it's been a while since we've had a show. But I did play with his dad, and we all know he was an unbelievable football player. And this guy is NFL ready. And I don't think the pass rushers put you into a frenzy over who's available at that pick. So why not give your defensive line a little bit more time with a with a corner was uh, uh patch sertan the second was he ever seriously was he ever running around did you did he ever was he at that stage where he had a kid where you were teammates with him mm, i would have played with patrick in oh five and six so what was that make junior i mean 15 years ago yeah he would have been you know six years old right running Seven. around running around yeah. yeah yeah i probably saw him just didn't remember because i was just trying to keep my job well you know, put it this way he could probably cover you at that point you know what i mean he, he could probably stick with uh, you now we're point. just getting disrespectful yeah okay well look i think this is a fascinating draft you know every year we say they could go this way this way this way you know the higher up they are at two and four it's more crystallized what they're going to do at 11 i think it's very much a jump ball and and i think you know we have a series in new york post a case can be made. And and I wrote a case can be made for offensive line, cornerback, edge rusher, and wide receiver. I think you can make strong cases for each. Now, I know you're saying cornerback, best player available, safe guy. Now, they do have James Bradbury. They did just sign Adoree Jackson. Kevin Abrams will explain the negotiating process to us later in the show for $29 million, right? So if they draft Patrick Sertain, he is not a starting cornerback, okay? So why you 
interested in him so much. I just think you can never have too many corners. Um, that is that is true. Or, or Connors, Connors, yes, Connors, yeah, Connors. In, in today's NFL, you just need enough. You need a, a bunch of them to get a guy of that caliber if he's there. I just don't know that the premier pass rusher is there. I just haven't seen enough about the. He's guy. not. You're absolutely right. He's not. So. So I, to say he's a safe pick, I think the Giants are in the driver's seat here, right? They're going to maybe have too many decisions to make at 11. I think they'll make the right one. Um, I could also see them adding a, a, an offensive wide receiver if Waddle's there or, or Smith or one of these top receivers, which is, is possible. So, I mean, you, to add a receiver to Galladay, Slayton, Shepard, Ingram, Rudolph, Saquon, number 26, they are in the best position they've been in probably in 25 years in this draft. Would you agree? They're in a good spot. Well, 25 years is a long time. They had some really good teams there. But, yes, what they did in free agency, getting Kenny Galladay, getting Adoree Jackson, mitigates the need. Oh, my God. You know, last year we knew they're taking an offensive lineman. Which one is it, right? So we knew that. They do not have to take an offensive lineman. And I I would not question if Rayshon Slater is there, I would have zero issue with them putting his name on the card and, and picking him. Now, they drafted three last year, right? In the first round, third round, and fifth round. And all three could be starters this year. But I'm not going to hang my hat on Matt Pert being the definitive right tackle. So if they look at Slater and say he is going to be a kick-ass right tackle and at the very least a Pro Bowl guard, take him. But I am really intrigued by these two Alabama receivers. I think one of them will be there. Tell me this, why not Waddle or Smith? Do you have a strong case why not with those two guys? I am concerned about Smith's size. I know I probably shouldn't be because Deshaun Jackson play has played a long time with a very similar body type. I, I could see Waddle as more of a in-house favorite because of his special teams ability, punt return, kick return. I think he's more dynamic than Smith, So, and I think he gives you a little bit more of a home run hit than uh, Smith does. So I, I think internally, Joe Judge, special teams background, that is one piece that they've been lacking for many years is they don't have the guy that scares you on special teams. And, and not that they ever have, but this guy gives you just that extra element. And I think, you know, you put him in the offense, let him grow into it a little bit, but he gives you an instant pop off, uh, on special teams with his return abilities. But also, what, what this NFL is, first of all, in my head, Lawrence, I keep on hearing them talking about offense is 31st in the league, playmakers, we're giving Daniel Jones, you know, every opportunity to succeed. So a guy like Waddle fits in like a glove. Do you, and in this NFL, bubble screens, jet screens, getting the ball in space, do you buy that he is the closest thing to Tyreek Hill in this draft? That's high praise. Yeah. I mean, it's similar body types. I Very think. similar. Yes. Um, Maybe not as fast, but is he? I, I don't know. I know he's fast. Uh, he does have an injury concern. You know, he did break that ankle or whatever foot this past year. So Devontae Smith, I think, is going to have a great career. He's a great route runner. He knows when to get down. He's obviously played at this size his whole life. And the SEC is no joke, right? There's big-time NFL players he's playing against in that league. So I don't know. I I think we're all going to be – listen, I, offensive line, like we said, you can go any way. But I, I would like to see Sertain. That's my pick. Uh, defensively, I think it gives uh, Patrick Graham more weapons and more packages, if you will, to work with. And this pass-happy offense, you have to consider the division now. You're always drafting with the division in mind and the Dallas Cowboys if they get that tight end from uh the Florida, Florida. Pitt, yep, Florida. if they get Pitts hell you need 
Sertain. I mean, you need corners. You're, you're not going to put a safety on him. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, with Smith, I mean, Smith is a great player. You know, Devonta Smith is a great player. Now, I know, you know, a lot of people went nuts when he measured in at 166 at uh, the um, the medical combine in Indianapolis. And uh, one thing that, that always sticks in my head, somebody with the Giants told me once, is that there are exceptions to every rule. A 166-pound receiver being great you mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Isaac Bruce coming out of college was like 170. You know, so there are exceptions. But when you bank on exceptions too often, you end up having a team of exceptions. And that's not a good thing. You don't want a team of guys that, you know, he's an exception. He's an exception. He's an exception. But I wouldn't go crazy with Smith. If he was there, I would take him. Now, you mentioned Ed Ed Rusher. You can make a solid case. Let me ask you this. Of the guys they have coming back, who has the most sacks? Not counting Leonard Williams because he is not an edge rusher. Hmm. I, I couldn't even tell you. So well, well, it, 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 it's if Fackrell had four, he's not there anymore. Dalvin Tomlin said three and a half, he's not there. Two point five is the most of any guy on the team coming back. So you can make a case. The one thing, look, they have two cornerbacks. They have Galladay. They have Shepard. They have Darius Slayton. Right? They have Pert. They have Andrew Thomas. They have guys at those other positions. You can not name an edge rusher that they have right now. You know, O'Shane Zimenez is coming back from an injury. Lorenzo Carter is coming back from an injury. Uh, they think Cam Brown and 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 Carter Coughlin can develop. They think they can. You know, I was told by someone inside the Giants cart that Cam Brown had no sacks last year, but but his percentage of of pressures related to his snaps was very high. So they see that as an upside. But still, these are all kind of hopes, right? They got uh, Odin Egbo from the Vikings. Can he give you a little bit? The problem is it's not a marriage made in heaven. There is not one edge rusher, as you mentioned. Quiddy Pay, I'm sorry, no. Jalen Phillips, no. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, no. That you can take it 11 and not say it's a bit of a reach. And you can't reach it 11, right? You can't do it. You can't. And listen, I, I mentioned this a long time ago when they signed Rudolph. I still think there's some sort of player in in trade here. I think Evan Ingram could potentially be moved on draft day. I really do. I think they've got an embarrassment of riches at on offense and tight end. They signed Rudolph. I think you could dangle him if you either wanted to move up a spot or back a little bit. I, I just think there's something going to be done here with Ingram. That's just my that's it. And now is that literally just, you know, from out of left field where you yeah. are or do you, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know anything. I just think that I, I look at that tight, you know, Smith has a, has a place. He plays special teams. He, he does a lot in the run game. He's a great blocker. Rudolph's going to be your guy. Probably Evan Ingram. I think you could maybe package him somewhere up or down to get, get who you want. And I think he, I think he could be on the move. Then who do they want? I mean, do they want Kyle Pitts? If, you know, if you make a move like that. I mean, that, if you could get him. I, I, yeah. I mean, listen, where do you have to go to get Kyle Pitts? Top five? Well, you don't have to go to top three. Those are all quarterbacks. Atlanta? There's going to be four and maybe five and maybe likely five in the top 10, right? As Dave Gettleman said to us last week, I hope 10 quarterbacks go in the first 10 picks because that drops everybody into us. But look, the Giants get get a big break here. Four or five quarterbacks, when you have 10 guys ahead of you and four or five, you can cross off your list because you weren't taking them anyway. The only problem is there's no Chase Young. You know, there's no Miles Garrett. I mean, it's amazing. You mentioned Sertan, who you want the Giants to take. I think he's the only defensive player to go in the top 10, the only one. And I don't know if we have enough firepower to to move up to four 
But but again, it, there's a lot of great talent up there in the top ten. So eleven's going to be a home run pick that that helps this football team. I think. And Tides, you said that you can't have too many corners. I don't think you have too many receivers. Sterling Shepard has battled so many injury issues. We don't know how much longer he's going to be a giant. If you have Galladay and Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, and you want to talk about injury issues, Kyle Rudolph had this scare as soon as they signed him. Um, and he's a veteran, so you can never have too many playmakers in a year that you are trying to determine if Daniel Jones is your franchise quarterback. If you give him all of this talent, I mean, he's got no reason to fail with Saquon Barkley fighting for a contract, coming back from an injury. They would be absolutely stacked, and I also think the fan base would be on cloud nine. I mean, playmakers always get fans excited, and you don't make a pick to get fans excited, but when you have a chance to draft a Heisman winner with the 11th pick or Jalen Waddle out of one of the top schools of all time, I think you got to do it. So I'm taking Devonta Smith. I like Waddle. If it's between those two, I like Waddle just because of the special teams and toughness component across the middle. So that would be my pick, and obviously to your point – they want to put people in the seats, get them excited about coming back to MetLife Stadium. We already know Patrick Graham's defense is going to be good. Look what he did last year with with less talent. So, Well, a couple of things. The last time they had the number 11 pick was when? 1999, I believe, or 2000. And they take they took the Heisman Trophy winner at number 11, Ron Dane. Okay, that did not work out so great. Okay, he was a great guy not and an unbelievably great college player, not a great NFL player. See, but here's the thing. I, I don't think we look at this and say, take another offensive weapon. Now they're unstoppable because isn't this going down the same road? You know, you can make also the case that, yeah, we're going to have this guy. Lawrence, you know, how many times in training camp did people like me crowd around Eli Manning and say, Eli, is this the best collection of uh, um, weapons you've ever had? And he says, well, maybe it is and is. And then if the offensive line is no good, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. So so uh, is, is the offensive line fortified? I know, Lawrence, you love Matt Pert, but can you sit here and bang the table and, you know, bang your po- you know, chair there at home and say, Matt Pert's the right tackle, they're set. Can you bang the your, your chair and say, Shane Lemieux is a starting guard. Will Hernandez is a starting guard. You know, Nick Gates is the starting center. We're good. We're good. We're fine. We're all protected. It's 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 Deal and it's O'Hara and it's Snee and it's McKenzie. You know, I, I don't know if you can say that. I think it's a great leap of faith to say that this offensive line is a finished product. And then you're down the same old road. Oh, Jalen Waddle ran. He's 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 waving his arms. He's free. Oh, Daniel Jones is sacked. Are you sure this offensive line is ready to go? I think they're going to be much improved. Uh, you always make your biggest jump from year one to year two. So Pert and Thomas will be better players. And Thomas played really well towards the end of the season. I don't know who I like better out of Sewell and Slater. I don't know who's the better player. Sewell um, will be there, though. So that's Sewell will be gone. He won't, okay. He'll be gone. Yeah, he'll be gone. So Slater's your guy, and he's from Northwestern, I believe. Yep. He didn't play last year. Opted out. Okay. I could see, like I said, we could talk in circles all day long. They could go anywhere with this pick, and, and maybe Slater is the guy. Not a sexy pick because offensive linemen don't generate a ton of buzz, but I think the Giants nation would be really excited about Slater because – We've known the issues over the years. And and look, we have to remember, all we're talking about is the first round here. There are a ton of receivers in the second round. Speed. A ton. I mean, they they have, you know, Kadarius, Tony, you know, the Giants love him. If they could get him in the second round, they'd do backflips. You know, he might be better than the guys from Alabama. 
when Agreed. all said and done. So, you know, we always talk, we always do this. You know, we, I'm including myself in this. We say, oh, they got to go. How can they not do this in the first? Look, they get six players. You know, last year they got 10. So they're going to have to marry it. What they get in the first round, they have to change and, and, and pair up in the second round. Maybe the time, I think it's the edge rudger time in the second round, but you can definitely go offensive lineman, receiver first two picks or receiver and then edge rusher first two picks you know you marry it up so yeah i i agree yes you, you can wait for a receiver you really if you want to make the argument like i do get waddle get smith you can wait and get someone who's damn good in the second round let's check in with our resident giants expert sarah mccrory because we need to know what sarah wants sarah with the 11th pick sarah mccrory selects I'm going to go with Paul here on Waddle, but I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of like jaded about the draft. I'm not as excited as most football fans. I think it's more like for an entertainment purpose. I don't think it matters as much as people put into it. But I mean, it's exciting. Like you guys said, the Giants are in such a good position that it's almost more exciting because they could do anything they want basically you know why sarah's not excited because it's in freaking cleveland i mean <laughs> come to cleveland i'm like i would come to cleveland in a non-pandemic why am i coming to cleveland in a pandec- pandemic well, hold sorry. on jake have you been to cleveland i haven't i mean i haven't visited the hall of fame actually I heard downtown, it's pretty cool there you can spend a nice day in downtown cleveland at, you at the have, rock and roll hall of fame you can, you can have a great time, okay? Now, the second and third day, you know, you might be stretching things a bit, but you could have a great afternoon, evening in downtown Cleveland. Yes, like I said. Less than 24 hours, and then I'm out of there. It's not a place you vacation for a week. Actually, the third round, I have my brother's wedding on Saturday, so I'll be in South Carolina. Not much to do down there either. But um, the Giants have five other picks, guys. You know, go through the positions with those five they might target. Do they go with two offensive linemen, a receiver, and two pass rushers, what do they do with those other five picks? Because you really got to hit hit these hard because the Jets have 10. A lot of other teams have more picks than the Giants do. And with the Leonard Williams trade, obviously the Giants just have six. Yeah, Dave Gettleman told us uh, last week, he said, look, I'm okay with six picks. You know, I'm okay with it. Uh, you know, I think they, they're kind of okay. Don't forget, they had a lot of guys, young guys in their roster last year. So they don't necessarily have to redo the back end of their roster with, you know, 10, 12, 15, you know, rookies and, and free agents, undrafted guys. So I think they're okay with six and they wouldn't mind getting another pick. Look, it's a Joe Judge team, right, Lawrence? Right, Jake? So at the bottom half of the draft, they're going to take guys with special teams value, uh, safeties, uh, a receiver, a running back with a special teams, a linebacker, certainly, you know, they took about 20 of them last year with special teams value. So they're going to do that. They're going to take an offensive lineman at some point in this draft. Are they going to take an edge rusher at some point in this draft? Uh, I think in the first two rounds, because you can't wait any longer on that. They'll take a receiver at some point in this draft in the first two days, I would think. Uh, you know, and that, look, there's only six guys. So, you know, look, we do have to remember that they do have a value board. And, you know, we're arguing or, or discussing Sertan, take Waddle, take Smith, take Slater. You know, they have a value board. And if, if they are looking and say, look, we got Rayshon Slater as the, the sixth guy on our board. They're taking him at 11. If they have Waddle and they said, look, Waddle, we think is, you know, ahead of Smith by two or three notches, they take him. If they say Sertan is the fourth best player in this draft, they're taking him. You know, we don't know what their board is like. Every board is different. I'm going to shoot from the hip here. And and I think late in the draft, if, if someone's available that they like, I think they're going to draft a punter. You know, I wrote, you know, we had to do little sections in the post, you know, what the Giants will do with certain positions, right? The last one, of course, of the 11 was specialists because, right, Lawrence, the specialists. Yep, we're always last. They're last. Time. They're last. I mean, that's the way it is. Right. So I wrote that, 
you know, Graham Gano was a great find. I didn't mention his Scottish background or that he, he's the second greatest, Unfortunate. second greatest Scottish kicker in Giants history. I didn't mention that, you know, but that, that, you know, Gano is, is gold, you know, that they found. Okay. And, and that Riley, you know, that, that Dixon was a, a find two years ago and they gave him a good contract and he was terrific in 2019 and certainly less than terrific in 2020. And so they can, you know, look for the giants to add competition at that spot. Um, I say they would draft one. And then fans all got crazy with me and said, they already have six picks. They're not going to draft a punter, you know, and, and you're an idiot. So you think they would actually draft someone in the six? If there's a, and I haven't studied the specialist, but if there's a left footed punter out there, because I know T-Mac always loved uh, Dustin Colquitt, a good friend of mine. And I know in New England, they only had left-footed punters. I know that sounds trivial, but at the end of the day, it is m- way more difficult. I mean, you read about it every week. We're facing a left-footed punter. Teams bring in a left-footed kid to come punt that week because it's different. Lawrence, uh, your, your favorite coach, Tom Coughlin, every time they played Washington, used to get up there and give his big, you know, the, the Redskins, the Washington has uh, this and this, and this is terrific, and this is great, and this is great. And their left-footed punter, Tress Way, he always, he always mentioned the left-footed punter, Tress Way. So you might be on to something. I mean, coaches are so paranoid. They do everything. And left-footed punters are like this, like, pandemic. Like, we have to do something about it to get our guys ready. So Give us a wee lefty with the 201st pick. A wee lefty Scott. Yeah, let's do it. You know, the guy who's going to – one of the guys who's going to be a help making those picks is going to join us next year on Blue Rush, and that would be the cap god, as we call him, Kevin Abrams. Joining us now is a man who's been in the Giants organization for 22 years now. He's been the team's vice president of football operations for the last three years. He's also been Big Blue's assistant general manager for 19 years. He previously was the Giants salary cap analyst for three years. Now let's give a warm Blue Rush welcome to the cap god, the king of the cap, cap guru, Kevin Abrams, Kevin, Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz. So glad to have you on Blue Rush. A busy week for you. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Do you have any recollections of taking Lawrence Tynes and uh, having him lead you guys to two Super Bowls? I remember when we acquired him, yeah. We traded with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Big move for us. Paid off very well, I think. I told everyone, Kevin, that you traded a, a box of tape and some Gatorade for me, so it's one of my famous quotes that I used. I had to do a little bit more than that. <laughs> hey, uh, Kevin, as a guy who does the um, the contracts, uh, Lawrence was not difficult when his he and his representative came to the table, was he? He probably took whatever was offered, right? Yes. No one ever takes what's offered, so Lawrence would have been an outlier if he did. Kevin, obviously, um, this is a very, you know, thanks for coming on with us. It's a very busy week for everyone associated with the Giants. Is this, you know, if you have to rank 1 to 52, is this 1 Two, three, four, as far as, you know, intrigue, excitement, busyness, uh, pressure of all of the above, none of the above, uh, draft week. How does that rank? You know, I, I'd say it's really no different with respect to all of those things, except for the fact that this is a scouting year unlike any other. So you're constantly double-checking, triple-checking, especially the background that you have on players because you have a deficit of playing evidence for a lot of these prospects. So I suppose it's different that way. That's not really answering your question relative to the scale, but comparing this year to other years, it's different just in the fact that you've got so many players that either opted out or have one year of production or haven't played in, since 2019, and now you're trying to project them 
and they're going to be on the field for you in three weeks, just like you would any other draft class, but it's just not like any other draft class. I've got a fun question for you. Russell Okung famously did some of his contract in Bitcoin. And from what I read, and I don't know how true this is, he becomes almost one of the top three highest paid players last season based on the... Is that something do you think you guys have ever talked about internally about moving in the future with cryptocurrency? Do you think that's going to become part of a lot of contracts or no? I'll tell you what, it hasn't been a topic of conversation for us. It's such a, a large topic of conversation outside of our building, just in, in general, not football or sports specific. So it wouldn't surprise me, I guess. I just... I'm not educated enough on it. I tried to early on when it became a bit of a mainstream thing or threatened to become a mainstream thing. And I just, for whatever reason, didn't gain a lot of traction with me. Obviously, I was wrong. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes a, a part of the conversation. I don't think it's a tomorrow thing, but it could be. I could certainly see a world where you know it becomes more involved in not just what I do or what the Giants do, but what we all do. I just, you know. But I'd be lying if I if I tried to speak intelligently about it. Well, we could call Diossi and Tuck. I mean, they're both at Goldman Sachs, so I think we've got exactly. some guys if we need some info. Yeah, I'd have to consult with them first. Kevin, uh, you mentioned before, you know, you kind of kidded around, but obviously we're serious where you say, you know, no one takes what they're offered, right? And, and, and you know, as the Giants chief negotiator for so many years, you try to get the guy on the low end. The agent tries to get the guy on the highest end and, you know, in the best deals, I'm sure you meet somewhere in the middle. But how do you deal with, you know, first of all, the whole notion of cap guru? You know, what do you think that means? And also when you go into a negotiation, let's say you just had a, a you know, a, a long one with Leonard Williams recently, something like that, where, you know, an agent comes in and, and says something like, well, my guy wants to be paid similar to Aaron Donald. And and you and you and the people you work with say, look, well, that is not going to happen. But how do you tell these agents, look, what you're talking about is not the real world and we need to get down to the real world and without saying that and not insulting them? You know, I think that, I mean, you guys all have jobs that require some negotiation at some point. And so none of this will be completely unfamiliar to you or, or anyone that's listening. But you know, a lot of times it ends up being it's kind of like debate club. Like yeah, I'm negotiating on behalf of the Giants and an agent's negotiating on behalf of a player. And before you can truly come to the table and, and try and make a case, you kind of have to argue both sides in your own head so you can anticipate what you expect the other person to be looking for and why and and genuinely come up with what your position is and, why, and how you can defend it. So you have to be mindful of both sides. You know, our position the Giants, especially with players that are already Giants. So if we're talking about extending a player, whether it was Lawrence Times a few years ago or Leonard Williams more recently, it's a delicate balance between knowing that you're not going to get a yes on your first offer, no matter how fair and reasonable it is. That's just not the way it works. I mean, the human nature wouldn't allow an agent to do it or a player. And quite honestly, it'd be awful difficult for an agent to demonstrate why they're getting their 3% of the contract if they did. So we know we have to come in less than what we think the final number is. And for us, it's a bit of a challenge or, or feels like a conflict because we like our players and we feel like we're an organization that we, we try to always be fair and honest with our players. And to offer a player 75 cents on the dollar of what we think they're actually worth is no different than telling them a lie. And that's not how we want to continue a relationship with a player that we think enough of to want to continue to work with them for years. So you're always balancing between leaving yourself room to move, but not being you know disingenuous to what you think the player's actual market value is. And that's that's probably the challenge because it, it forces us to come in a lot closer to our end game right from the, the jump than what is probably more practical and productive towards getting a deal done. But we think that's the most honest way to go about approaching 
approaching our players. And unfortunately, when you do it that way, you don't leave a lot of room for the agent because there are three parts to every one of these negotiations. It becomes more difficult to provide the agent with an opportunity to demonstrate their worth in the process because they don't get us to move a lot. It's not because we're rigid and it's not because we're unreasonable. It's because we try to be very fair from the outset. So that's probably the biggest challenge in our negotiations is that we try and come in close to the final number right at the start. And that doesn't help the agent. And, and again, this, this isn't an anti-agent position. It's just we have to understand that we're trying to make the player feel good about the contract and the agent because, you know, whether we like it or not, there are three parts to this negotiation and, and they have worth. And it's hard to demonstrate that worth to their client if they don't get us to move very much. Kevin, you had Lawrence Tynes, you had Jake Brown, you had Sarah McCrory, you even had Paul Schwartz. You had the entire Giants fan base ready to run through a brick wall, I think, after what you did in free agency. I mean, you guys went above and beyond what many of many of us expected. We said, you know, it was kind of cap hell. You know, you guys were close to being over the cap. What you guys did was remarkable. I mean, did you kind of outdo yourself? Did you guys think that you can do all you guys did and all these signings you make to bolster the roster to the point where a lot of people are putting the Giants in the conversation to win the division, potentially, if all goes right? Uh, did you outdo yourself? I don't know if we did ourselves. I mean, we had a, a what I thought was a great plan going into free agency. Uh, it was a comprehensive process. It was started with identifying our needs into the season. Uh, it was obviously this being a, a unique year for all the obvious reasons. We had to make sure the ownership was on board with us spending what we did. And they didn't blink. They were all for it. In fact, they encouraged it. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, Giants fans understand that this wasn't probably a year to do that, at least certainly not logically, but they wanted this year to be no different than any other. They didn't want our team building. We feel like we've made some progress recently and they wanted to continue that progress. And they wanted us to augment the roster with the best players on the market. And they gave us the support that we needed to do it. So once we had that support in place, we had our plan in place. It was, it was a matter of finding those physical players at the right positions that we had consensus with our coaching and our evaluators. And once we do that, uh, you feel like you have firm footing to go and be aggressive because you know everyone in the building is all in on the players that you acquired. And that was certainly the case with all the guys that we added this year. I think as far as outdoing yourselves, I, I would say that we probably exceeded what we had initially estimated that we would go and, and budget for this free agency cap and cash, not significantly. But we did nibble just because opportunities presented themselves later in the process than maybe was typical. And we decided to make a short-term bet that we'll have a little bit of long-term, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't call it pain, but it will have a little bit of an impact on future years. But we felt like it was a reasonable and responsible bet to make. And the players that we were making those bets on, you know, we believed in. And, and we certainly did a lot of due diligence on it this year, as much as we always do. But, you know, all that due diligence gave us reason to feel comfortable with our decisions. Hey, Kevin, um, a lot of our listeners probably don't know that you're Canadian. I want to know, how does a guy from Toronto, Canada, end up in the NFL? You would think if you were going to go the sports route, it would be hockey. Or was that, take us to the 20-year-old Kevin Abrams and how you ended up in the NFL. (laughs) Well, growing up, I probably played more football and basketball, but football more than hockey. Uh, My dad played football and basketball growing up so I just sort of I imagine just growing up in the same house with him and what we were fans of those are the sports that I gravitated towards uh, once I was done playing I started coaching loved it but coaching's not doesn't provide the same career opportunities in Canada that it does 
down here and didn't seem very viable as a career option. So, you know, I kicked around a bunch of different, you know, what am I going to do after college scenarios? And after vetting all of those, I just wasn't terribly passionate about any of them. Spoke to a gentleman who worked at the Toronto Blue Jays in their front office and asked for some some career advice. Asked about where do you find this career path if, if this is something that you want to pursue. And um, he pointed to grad school in the States, a particular school, Howe University that had a long history and the biggest alumni base and was fortunate to get in there, worked with their football coaches and recruiting. And then that opened up the doors for what seemed like an endless string of internships. Those internships, you know, I wanted to be on the team building side, but I was finding more PR and corporate relations and training camp ops and and finally got one in scouting with the Washington Redskins, which was tremendous. It was short, but it crystallized my conviction that, you know, I wanted to be on the team building side of things. And that opened the door for an opportunity at the management council, which handles the league-wide salary cap and the collective bargaining agreement and uh, labor relations and gave me an opportunity to sort of acquire, learn about and a knowledge and a skill set in the salary cap that I hadn't previously aspired to work in the salary cap. You know, I knew what it was vaguely was interested in it because it was part of team building, but it wasn't something that I had identified as a possible career avenue. And uh, the Giants were hiring a cap analyst. I was lucky to get an interview, fortunately offered the position, and then the rest is sort of, you know, the opportunity became what it did once I was in the building. So that was the, the journey from, from Toronto. It was phenomenal. I mean, it provided a lot of great experiences and taught me a lot about what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And it probably took longer than I would have liked, but I wouldn't trade it because I think each one of those experiences, you know, probably played a role in getting the one that mattered most, which was the first opportunity with the Giants. I think that is very enlightening to a lot of fans. You know, so many people come up to us and say, how do I get into it? How do I, you know, I think everyone in the world wants to play quarterback for the Giants. And when they realize they can't do that, they want to be the general manager of the Giants, right? That's just the way it goes. In your case, you're a behind the scenes guy, certainly salary cup guy. You know, they don't, they don't televise the negotiations you do with these agents um, or the scouting you do and things like that. You know, a couple of years ago in um, 2017, you were the interim general manager for four games. And quite frankly, I thought it was very enlightening. I thought you you really kind of came out and, you know, didn't change the world but or the team in, in those last four games. But you kind of showed a different side of yourself, a more of a command performance, if you will. Um, is that what you aspire to? I mean, the, the, the guy you work for, 70 years old, when he retires, do you feel you're ready to be the general manager of the Giants at that point? I don't know. I mean, that's a hard, conversation, a hard question to, to answer. I mean, like anyone, I have ambitions and I want to do my job as best I can if that provides opportunities for professional growth and greater responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine anyone who has similar aspirations and, and takes pride in what they do and enjoys what they do as much as I do would probably feel the same way about their jobs and their opportunities. So, you know, I guess that's the best way to answer the question. I love where I work. I love who I work with. I love the city that I live in. I consider myself to be very fortunate and to have been here for as long as I have. I mean, I don't, I don't know how things could have gone better you know, minus maybe a few more Super Bowls and some more wins recently, but I don't know how things could be working out better than they are now. But, you know, do I feel like I'm a finished product? If whatever it is, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, I'm retiring or retired and and this was the ceiling of my career, I don't think I'd be unsatisfied. I might have a few itches left that didn't get scratched, but so that's a, a long, vague way of saying I have all the ambitions that you would imagine, but you know, their healthy ambitions. With all the challenges of the pandemic and evaluating players this year, uh, a lot of people will point out all the things that they probably didn't like. Is there anything that you thought was beneficial this year in terms of the evaluation process, being on campus, not having to go to Indy and be a part of the gong show? But 
I know a lot of guys like that. It's a good time to get together with other NFL executives. Is there anything that you enjoyed or you thought the coaching staff enjoyed better not having an NFL combine? I think the short answer is no. I mean, we all love what we do. And this is a very, very, this is a people business. You know, we're not manufacturing widgets. We're, we're humans evaluating humans, putting humans together to build a human collaboration. So a collective. So, and part of that too is, is it's information gathering, it's relationships. So not being able to get to college campuses, not seeing players live, not being able to go to the combine and whether it's meeting with the players, meeting with college coaches that are there, you know, ongoing negotiations with a, a Leo and a Dalvin and whoever else we had coming up, it would have been helpful to have that time to speak to their agents in Indianapolis. So there's a lot of stuff that gets done. Now, I would say that the combine, I don't think, is a particularly time or cost efficient endeavor at all. It's probably, if you brought in an efficiency expert and asked them to watch the combine as it unfolds and to evaluate it as an efficiency experiment, they'd probably give it a failing grade. So I think there are ways we could do it a lot better. And I think people are putting some thought into that now. But the, the interaction part of it, the human element of it is huge. It's part of what we enjoy and it allows us to do our jobs better, I think. Now, it can also be a, it can also send you down the wrong path sometimes and, and not everyone is there taking the combine quite as serious as everyone else is sometimes. But I like it. I, I hope it comes back near to what it always has been. I hope they take lessons learned from the last 14 months, incorporate some of those elements into all things we do in football operations, but specific to the scouting process. I hope that we've learned some things and we can become more efficient. I expect that'll be the case. Club by club, some more than others is what I expect. But as a league, I hope we do things a little bit more efficiently as well. Kevin, as far as efficiency in Indianapolis for the Combine, you did not make any fans of the owners of St. Elmo's who think the Combine should be two weeks and not four or five days, right? Because that inefficiency that you talk about puts a lot of money in their coffers with those uh, shrimp cocktails and steaks, right? You know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, you feel terrible for, for I mean, not. To, I mean, St. Elmo's is a great example and, and probably more affected than most. But, I mean, just, you know, in my neighborhood here in New York where I live, I mean, it's so many of those places are just taking down the chin right now, and so many of them are not going to reopen. And it's sad. I mean, it, it's been somewhat heartwarming from time to time that you see some of these restaurants and and bars that are neighborhood institutions and have such a strong, loyal client base that you can see some have become sort of daily walking grocers for produce or take or prepared foods, which is really kind of interesting. And, and the communities are trying to do what they can to support them so they can make it through these tough times, but not all of them are going to make it. And it's, it's been pretty brutal. Yes. No, it is. It's, you know, when you can support your local businesses, obviously it's uh, very heartwarming. Now, Kevin, did you see the movie Draft Day? Is that the Costner one about the Browns? The Kevin Costner movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, now, uh, you were not cast in that movie. Now, so many fans love this time of year, and they want someone to take them in the draft room, right? Now, what they saw on draft day might be the closest they get to it. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10, that is how close to reality of what's going to happen Thursday night? Uh, I'd say it's about a 5. You know, there were elements of it, types of conversations, and obviously subject matter was, was accurate. It was, you know, it's Hollywood. I mean, they've got to 
portray a scenario that is as compelling as possible so that people that are fans and people that aren't want to go see it. I don't think they wanted to limit their potential viewers to just those that give a damn about the NFL draft and what a war room looks like. So they had to juice it up a little bit with a pretty extraordinary series of transactions. But there were some parts of it. I mean, I think they were consulted by some, some experienced NFL people. So obviously, they got some of it very right. But uh, again, I think the scenario in particular that they worked through and some of the dynamics certainly were very, very sensational. Except uh, no one is going to cast Kevin Costner as Dave Gellman, right? In in any kind of sequel to that, right? That's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know why they wouldn't. <laughs> hog mollies hog mollies oh yep. i was gonna say kevin i mean you get the inside look of, i mean listen we love hog mollies we love pup we love quarterbacks um you get every day of dave gettleman do you have a, can, one can you take us through working with him two do you have a favorite word or, or phrase uh that he uses or a word that he has with his uh thick boston accent you know i i think that after 22 years of working with dave Minus that window when he was in Carolina. I mean, it'll always come back to Gads and Connors for me. It's, <laughs> it's, it comes up so often, and it's just. And I really think the, the the primary reason I'm kept around is because I've been around Dave for so long. You know, I'm able to play the translator as we bring in new people into the building. So, first and foremost, that's job number one. That's the first bullet point on my job description. He's the best. He's the best. I'm obviously a, a blue backer, and I've had his back this whole time. I love the guy. The most important question we'll ask you on this show today, Kevin. You have already locked up Graham Gano on a long-term contract, which is uh, the best signing we've had. Hold on, we're going down the road to special teams. Here's the kicker stuff, Kevin. Here's the have, kicker stuff. Oh boy. As you guys, your job, you, yours and Dave's job, is to look down the road for this organization. Have you identified the next Scottish field goal kicker for the New York Giants? Where is he? Who is he? Who does he play for? I don't know that we have identified him individually yet, but I will tell you this. In the most recent, I'm not sure which rugby tournament it was, but I'd gotten to know Gregor Townsend a little bit, who's the head coach of the Scottish national rugby team. And they were playing England. You'll appreciate this, Lawrence. They're playing England in this tournament. They haven't had a great run of success against England. Obviously, that, that rivalry goes back for, for so many years. They had beaten them, I think, most recently. And it was a, they treated it like it was their, like our 07 Super Bowl against the Patriots. And now they had them coming up again and they were all wearing Giants gear pregame this year because they, their theme of the week was the Giants came back in 2011 and beat them again when it was, you know, seemed insurmountable and they went and beat them again this year. And so they had all their Giants gear on and paraphernalia and it was, so they used us as an example for, you know, sort of, conquering Goliath twice, and that's what they were trying to do, and they used us as the parallel. See the global expansion of kickers, Scottish kickers? It seems inevitable, doesn't it? Yes. Lawrence has a couple of sons, right? They, so that could be next in line, right, Lawrence? I got a kicker and a punter. There you so go. They start, they start high school next year. I always told my one of them, I said, uh, your brother's a holder. If you miss, just blame him. Make sure you get their film on right. huddles so we can start taking a look. I can't wait to see the first fight on field during a game because it's going to happen yeah it's coming well we'll say cheerio to kevin abrams the giants assistant gm and vp of football operations kevin we're looking forward whether it's Devonte smith whether it's Jalen waddle whether it's pay slater we're looking forward to one of them potentially being a giant with that 11th pick and good luck this week and uh thanks for coming on blue rush it's my pleasure and it's great to be with you guys looking forward to a very exciting week 
And that says cheerio to episode 68, the JT Turner edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Give us that wee five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts, you filthy animals. For Polly Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We'll be back for a special post-NFL draft episode on my birthday, no less, May 3rd. Thanks for listening, and go Big Blue!